Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I'm your host, Aaron Watson. If you have yet to subscribe to this podcast, I encourage you to do that, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so that each time a new episode comes out, you can be right on top of it. Also, if you want to learn more about the show, if you want to learn uh, about past guests, I encourage you to check out the website goingdeepwitharon.com. We have show notes there. We have blog posts. We have all sorts of cool information and videos that you can check out. But to enlighten you on today's guest, my guest was Leah Lizarondo. Leah is the co-founder and CEO of 412 Food Rescue, which is a really cool program dedicated to making the food systems in the city of Pittsburgh in Allegheny County more efficient. She does that through a number of ways that we get into, but really, really basically, they use volunteers to move unpurchased food that would go to waste otherwise and transport that to the underserved communities in Allegheny County. Uh, they're doing really cool things, and I encourage you to check out the show notes so you can consider contributing to her CrowdRise, which is kind of like a Kickstarter campaign. They're looking to fund a truck so that they can deliver this food more efficiently and help people in need. But uh, we get into a ton of cool stuff. We talk about uh, some of her food writing, her mission with 412 Food Rescue, and just generally the impact that she'd like to see on more people eating healthy. So I hope you'll enjoy today's episode with Leah Lizarondo. for coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, so in my research preparing for this interview, I actually came across maybe my favorite title I've ever seen anyone hold. So you're a food blogger, you write a, a weekly food column with Pittsburgh Magazine, uh, but you also have the title of Chief Veggie Hacker. It's veg Hacker. Right? Veg Hacker, <laughs> pardon me. Uh, tell me about what it's what the title of a Chief Veggie Hacker, veg right. hacker is. Yeah, I mean, it started out, you know, there's life hacker, there's, you know, and the whole connotation of what a hacker is. And my background is, you know, um, in technology. You know, I worked as a consultant um, for startups for a long time. And it was just something that, you know, I wanted to kind of encapsulate what I did in terms of food. And I'm not exactly wanting to say that everyone should you know, everyone should love vegetables or learn how to eat vegetables, but not necessarily, you know, be vegan or vegetarian. Um, so I wanted to, you know, communicate that, but without using vegan or vegetarian, I just came up with veg hacker. <laughs> gotcha. I like it. Um, you, what, what kind of the descriptions that explain the work that you're doing in Pittsburgh is that you are a food advocate and you are very passionate about getting more vegetables in people's bellies, more healthy food, less processed sugars, a lot of things like that. Um, but I kind of want to take it back and first start with 
how this came to be your mission. So you mentioned that you have a background in tech, you have a background right. in consulting, but yeah. now your world is really based around, around getting healthy food right. to people all over the city. Um, how did that come to be your mission? Yeah, I mean, it was a whole lifelong evolution. You know, I mean, in the same way that you were finding, you know, what your passion was, you know, I was also doing that for a long time. Um, but I come from a very business-oriented family, and even though I was very interested in food, not that, you know, anyone actively discouraged me from going into the food industry, but it was just wasn't encouraged. It was good as a hobby, but not quite what you should be doing. So I went to business school, you know, economics like you did, um, and after that worked for a big consumer goods company, worked for Kuwait Palmolive as a product manager for a long time, for a few years. And, um, but it was always just interested in food. So I would cook a lot, but never really, but looking at food more as a pleasure, not really looking at, you know, how it's going to benefit me and my body and my health. I thought looking at food for pleasure and looking at it for health were two mutually exclusive things that, you know, if something was delicious, it doesn't need to be, it, it can't be good for you. Or if something was good for you, it has to taste like cardboard. And then, you know, because of the lifestyle that I was leading, you know, I got, and, you know, my diet, which was very rich. I was living in New York City. My health started to go like south. And I was trying to understand why. And then, you know, through research, I realized that, you know, food goes a long way in terms of what, you know, how our body performs. And I can see that you're fairly, you know, conscious of that as well. And yeah. it's and, and it's great that you understand this so early on, you know, but I didn't. And it got, you know, as a consequence, my body failed me for a long time. And that's when I decided to change my diet and didn't want to eat just cardboard or salad. Yeah, I actually hate salad. And, you know, realized that there is this gap in, in the universe where, you know, it's less so of a gap now than it was 10 years ago of um, healthy food that actually tastes good. And yeah, so that's, that's how it started. And then I've always been interested in access as well. You know, um, is, is healthy food something that's a privilege? Because right now it is. And so in my own advocacy, you know, how do I ensure that, how do I help ensure that everyone has access to healthy food? And, you know, 412 Food Rescue is kind of the first step towards that. Absolutely. So that, that was one of the big things I want to make sure we talked about today was 412 Food Rescue. Mm -hmm. um, when did, uh, let me start off by explaining to anyone out there who might not know what 412 Food Rescue is. There is a big issue with the waste of yeah. the food that we're eating. There's yep. so much food that gets produced, whether it's at a restaurant or at a grocery store that right. is not being eaten. Correct. And what 412 Food Rescue is, is it connects that wasted food with people who are in need Correct. and helps empower volunteers to deliver that food to food deserts. Right. Now, food deserts might be a term that is foreign to some people. So right. can you explain yeah. what a food desert is and then maybe get into a little bit more about how mm -hmm. the app actually works? Because I think I gave a pretty yeah, superficial yeah. explanation. No, that's good. That's actually a good start. So the, the statistic that we always talk about is that 40% of our food goes to waste. 
that's almost half of the food that we're producing globally. That's hard, that's hard to believe. Just like that yeah. statistic right off the bat is you, you can kind of see it because, you know, you walk through, sometimes you walk through a grocery store and you look around like there's so much food in this building. Right. But at the same time, when you hear 40%, you think of half of your food just going in the garbage. That's, right. that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the times when we talk about hunger and how do we solve hunger and there's so much hunger in the world, there's so many people who need food. We always talk about, you know, how can we produce more food? How can we, you know, but really it's not about food production, especially in the industrialized world. It's not about producing more food. Most of the focus that we have is in generating more food, but we don't have to generate more food. Our farmers are creating enough food and our duty is two-pronged in terms of saving that food. The first is respecting the work that the farmers do and, you know, they, day in, day out, they labor over our food. And the second is that, you know, not only do we need to respect the work that they do, it's also understanding that there's a lot of people out there who need the food that we feed the landfills. So taking those two, you know, how can we do something about it? Um, food, ha- food waste happens in every step of the supply chain. So, you know, at the farm level, it happens if a vegetable is ugly and they feel like they can't sell it, they will cull it and maybe um, save it for food production or to feed the animals or something that's not going to go on a supermarket shelf. Because we have, in the same way that we have crazy um, aspirations when we look at models in magazines, we have crazy aspirations when we look at food in the grocery store. All that perfection you know, that stage, not all the fruits and vegetables look like that. Half of them looks really strange, but we can't, the farmers can't sell them because we won't buy it. That's crazy. So there's, there's, um, you know, there's food, food waste that happens there. There's food waste that happens in, you know, um, at the distribution level, three, you know, um, tractor trailers full of turkey that there's no buyers for. And most of that food at those levels can be um, redirected to bigger warehouses like food banks, etc. But then there's waste that happens at the retail level. And this is very, very hard to recover because there's, I think, 600,000 grocery stores just in the United States. And you can't use a traditional model to, to pick this food up, meaning you can't deploy a truck. It's too expensive. Um, and food waste happens from, you know, one box of blueberries to maybe like pallets full of food. And so um, my friend and I, Giselle Fetterman, who runs the free store in Brada, you know, we're both very much obsessed with nutrition and access. And we both said, okay, well, maybe we can do something about it. She's already getting donations from Costco um, for from the free store. And he said, what if we can do this with all the grocery stores in the county. There was about a little over 200 grocery stores. And what if we redirect all the daily churn from these grocery stores to nonprofits at no cost? You know, they won't have to buy it, um, but they can use it, definitely. And so we started, you know, with a pilot in Braddock in, in the East End. And we said, okay, let's experiment and see if people will actually raise their hands and pick it up. Because if that's the theory, right? And we are surprised that in, you know, in about, um, in about nine months now, we've picked up about 150,000 pounds of food all by volunteers. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing the biggest challenge 
for the proliferation of this program is getting stores on board or is it finding volunteers or is it kind of a balancing act that yeah. goes back and forth? Well, because... it's a balancing act, but also if you can imagine, you know, if there's only 200 grocery stores, that's a very finite number. We can get to those 200 grocery stores in terms of getting them on board just with, you know, between the people who work at 412 Food Rescue. What's difficult is ensuring that there's a volunteer that covers that store whenever the store needs it. Okay. Right. So if you can imagine, if you can estimate that all of the stores on a ideal basis have a donation every day, that means we have about 200 pickups a day in all of the county. And you're not going to be available every single day at every single time. So, you know, in theory, we probably need about five people assigned to a store. Um, that way we can pick, you know, and you know, so that's 200 times five, you know, that's, you know, a thousand volunteers. That's the hard part. And they need to be spread out regionally because not, yes. a, not all the grocery stores are in one area. Exactly. You could have it north of the city, you could have it southwest, and really having people who are close by Correct. that store right. is going to make it easier for them to do that job because, you know, volunteers are very generous with their time, with their right. resources, but if you're asking them to go all the way across the city exactly. and then all the way back, that makes it exactly. a much, so much tougher need, proposition. Yeah, so we need a thousand people distributed quite equally all over the county. And um, we match the stores to nonprofits that are close to them. So distance, you know, with pickups are not an issue. It's really getting to at least a thousand active volunteers. That's the goal, right? And that's, you know, um, we're hoping that people will raise their hands. Actually, now we have about a hundred volunteers and we haven't fully launched yet. We, I don't consider us fully launched because our app isn't launched yet. Okay. And once that app is launched, then the challenge really is how do we get people to sign on and how do we get people to use it? Absolutely. It's, it's a fantastic idea. And the other goal that you're working towards in addition to putting the app together and hitting that thousand volunteers number is getting a second truck. So you just Correct. launched a crowd rise campaign mm -hmm. for listeners of the podcast. It's similar to a Kickstarter campaign right. uh, like, I, like I did last month, but this is focused on getting another truck Right. for your organization. So can you talk a little bit about why uh, yeah. why a truck and yeah. how that all came to be? Yeah, so um, so CryRise is a lot, like you mentioned, a lot like Kickstarter, but for nonprofits. And um, so why do we need a truck? We need a truck because we have um, donors that are larger than, than specific retail stores like Gordon Food Service, which is the third largest food distributor in the United States. That's a lot of quantity of food. And we also have Kerrigan Foods, which is the number one supplier to our restaurants. And that is, um, for example, today, and what is today? Today is Monday, December 1st. That's okay to say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. That's the magic of podcasting. We recorded this in the past. Someone could be listening to this two yeah, years from now. Yeah, that's true. And, you right. know, 412 Food Rescue has 2,000 volunteers, so... Whenever, yeah, the, whenever no, it is, you. this was recorded December 1st, 2015. Yeah. yeah. So today we had a call from Paragon Foods in the Strip District, and they are, you know, every restaurant's favorite supplier. And they have three pallets of food. And while we do have one truck that our volunteer has um, donated to us, he drives that truck. And he's in Guatemala right now. So there's no truck today. And so he helps us pick up from Gordon Food Service. But when he's not available, we can't. We, it's hard for us to respond to um, donations like Paragon right now because 
even if we have volunteers, they can't fit three pallets of food, it put three pallets of food in their car. And then we cannot send 10 volunteers either. Because one of the other things we value is the fact that, you know, our donors, you know, need to go about their business as well. And we can't really impact their operations too much. And that's, that's something we put upon ourselves. It's not something our donors requested. It's understanding that, you know, um, to have 10 people calling is not going to be convenient for them. Although I know that they would love to donate this food, which is what's great about our donors. So we may or we, we may not be able to cover this donation unless we find someone today that um, has, you know, a really big pickup, who might, a pickup truck, who might be able to, might be able to deploy two of those and make a dent in it. But if we had a truck, then we could easily reroute that truck to go to Paragon and be able to give this food to the almost 60 nonprofits that we work with. That's that's powerful. That's uh, That will be linked to in the show notes. So if you want to uh, help support 412 Food Rescue yeah. and contribute to their CrowdRise campaign, it just launched this morning, mm-hmm. and I already saw that there's a number of donations. Right. Um, so I'm going to strongly encourage you to check that out, watch the video, see the impact that you can have. Kind of breaking off into your other food-related interests. Yeah. So you're not exclusively working with food, 412 Food Rescue. Yeah. You also uh, do some writing, as we mentioned earlier. Yep. You've got a food column with Pittsburgh Magazine. You write for the Brazen Kitchen blog. Mm-hmm. Um, how has writing, what significance has writing played in your food advocacy work? Right, so um, it was the way that I started into food industry, you know. Um, and you know, basically coming from consumer goods and tech, I really did not, I don't have, you know, I'm not a chef really, although I do cook dinners. Um, but it was my way to, to start out from somewhere. And I said, you know, writing would be the best way. And I started out really simply by talking about the food I was eating, you know, at home in my transition from a really heavily, you know, meat and potatoes diet, you know, to something that was more vegetable focused. And so um, when I started the blog, Pittsburgh Magazine called and said, um, and blogging was early then, that was about four years ago, I think now. Um, And they said, you know, if I was interested in publishing on the magazine, I said, of course. And it's great. I actually just left that column as I focused more on um, 412 Food Rescue and another project that I'm hoping to launch next year. Um, And it's... um, it's been great. You know, it was great for me to connect with everyone in Pittsburgh that's involved with food through this column. It was amazing. And I was able to do that and extremely happy about it. And now that I've done that, you know, I feel like I understand what the food system in Pittsburgh looks like from an outsider's perspective, because I wasn't really in it. I was writing about it, but I wasn't one of the actors in it. And so it's given me a great perspective. And one of the gaps that I saw, again, as we talked about earlier, is that everyone is just working on giving, you know, let's make more food. But no one was talking about the fact that as we are making more food, we're throwing away half of it. And also, you know, the fact that while we're providing food access to those who are food insecure and in food deserts, most of that food, because of the way, you know, traditional logistics works is that they're all like, they're not health promoting. 
you know, they're canned goods, they're high preservative food, which are great to provide calories, but often if that's the only food someone is eating, you're treating one problem for another. And we have this, now this inequality in terms of our food access to healthy food. And then what happens is statistics for diabetes and obesity tip towards lower income um, neighborhoods. And that's just not acceptable to me. Absolutely. That's in doing some research to prepare for this. I was watching a video where they're talking about that phenomenon exactly where everyone's very excited to give canned goods to a food bank, but they're not necessarily as quick to give money or make a monetary donation. Right. And the point that they were making was, well, the idea is you give these cans and mm -hmm. they have this huge stack of canned goods that right. are there forever. But if they want to go get some fresh fruits and fresh vegetables, which they want to do, they right. if they had the budget to do that, right. then that requires them going out and buying it regularly, which they need a budget for. So that was right. that was very insightful for me. No, that's true. And, you know, um, yeah, I always encourage people to give time and and funds to any nonprofit. Um, funds because, you know, if your canned good costs you 50 cents, it might actually cost the food bank because it, they buy in such great volumes, 10 cents. And then the balance 40 cents, they might be able to buy broccoli instead, right? And so those funds, like you said, goes a long way. Absolutely. Um, I also just kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into your transition. So you're really a part of an impactful organization right now, 412 Food Rescue, that is you know, making an impact on hundreds of people's lives, right. getting them food, if they're food insecure, mm -hmm. that is a game changer. Right. And we kind of talked about how it started yeah. with writing. It started It yeah. started with just kind of maybe dipping your toe in the water, yeah. so to speak, right. and putting, publishing something, even right. if it's maybe based around recipes or not a really, not as maybe high impact as the work right. that you're doing now. Yeah. Um, if someone else was looking to make an impact either in the space of food or just maybe they want to start their own nonprofit right. someday, would you give the recommendation to start with writing or start with publishing something or maybe jumping right into it off the bat? I don't know. I think everyone can start in different ways. I didn't necessarily think, you know, four years ago when I was starting to write that I would you know, four years later, start 412 Food Rescue. That was something that evolved. What I, the only thing I knew was that I wanted to make an impact in food and health. That was it. I wanted to understand what innovative ways, you know, there is to approach both. And that's on a personal health level. You know, I still do cooking classes. Right now, I love doing them. So if, you know, if a company calls me and says, you know, can you do a pork class series? And I, I would totally do it because it, it's a different aspect of, of kind of what I'm interested in and what my advocacy is. Um, so I think what you're doing, for example, is a great thing. You know, it's you understood where you wanted to be right now. And so you did what you wanted to do right now. And I think that shift is important. I think it's, it's you know, what's hard is making the jump from what you were doing before that may have nothing to do with what you're doing now. And it's pretty scary, you know, but I think that if you have interest enough and you're passionate enough, and I know this sounds like a, you know, a successory, but it's, it's really going to work itself out, I think. 
and and you may have to work two jobs while you're doing it you know but at least you're taking a step towards that goal absolutely it's, it all starts with the first step on a lighter note yeah you you are a cook yeah you've got some skills in the kitchen if the president was coming to your house yeah. and you had to make one your go-to meal, mm-hmm. you say this is my meal. Uh, you know, my family members or friends or whoever all yeah. say like this is the meal. What would you cook? <laughs> oh, so I did a farm dinner last um, summer at Churchview Farm, and um, I have to say my one favorite meal that I make are these black-eyed beef fritter tacos. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Just saying, first of all, you fry fritters um, made with black eyed peas. So kind of they are kind of in the style of falafel. Okay. But instead of chickpeas, it's black eyed peas. And then you fry them up. So anything fried is already a winner, right? And then you add um, like a kimchi cream and kimchi. I don't know if you like kimchi. Um, or if you don't want that, you can just add an avocado cream and, you know, standard taco toppings. But it's that fried, you know, round dough in a taco. So if you can imagine like a, a falafel sandwich would be in a pita, but this one is in a taco with taco toppings. It's just, it's phenomenal. That, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, I want to start wrapping up here, tell people mm-hmm. how to connect, uh, yeah. encourage them again to check out the CrowdRise campaign. Yeah. But before we kind of wrap it all up into a bow, is there anything that I didn't give you a chance to say? No, I think that's it. I think um, I really encourage, I, I love what you're doing because, you know, when I was trying to understand what I wanted to do, you know, I did it much later than you did. And I think it's really just having that clarity. And I think to have that clarity, you have to take the fear out. And I think once you do that, then you can really understand how you can make a difference. I like that. If people want to learn more about 412 Food Rescue, connect with you in the digital world, what's the best way to do that? So we are on Twitter, 412 Food Rescue, the number four, the number one, the number two, and then Food Rescue, and on Instagram. And we also have a Facebook page, which is very active. And we have a website, 412foodrescue.org. Cool. All of that will be linked to in the show notes. Uh, Leah, thank you so much for thank coming you. on the show. I really appreciate it. So as we do with every episode, we're going to end with you getting the mic one last time mm-hmm. to issue a personal challenge to the audience. All right. So one of the biggest things that made a difference in my life was um, this exercise. So I was at a conference once. It was a leadership conference. And the facilitator asked us all to write a letter to ourselves a year from now. And so basically what you want to tell yourself a year from now. So you start it with Dear Leah, whatever your name is, and you write your one page or however long letter you want to write. And then you address it to yourself in an envelope. And then you give it to a trusted friend. It was the facilitator at that conference at that time. But I've been doing this, you know, more. I've been trying to do this um, every year when I want a transition. And I give it to a friend and I say to my friend, you know, make a tickler in your Google Calendar or your iPal, whatever you use, and keep this letter and make a tickler one year from now to mail this letter to me. It's already addressed. It's already stamped. And so basically, you just committed yourself to your vision in some way. And then one year later, and believe me, in that whole year, you'll forget that you wrote this letter. 
And then one year later, you'll get this letter in the mail and it will be kind of freaky because it's addressed to yourself in your own handwriting. And for that one second, you'll think, what the hell? <laughs> then you'll open it and you'll see what you wrote a year ago. And that's very powerful. I love it. Uh, that That's fantastic. I think that that's an amazing way to kind of provide some uh, some history of where you've been, but also some vision for where you're going. I really appreciate that. Yeah. We just went deep with Leah Lizarondo of 412 Food Rescue. Please check out the show notes for the link to the CrowdRise campaign and check out the great work that she's doing. This has been Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Hope you have a great day. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you again to Leah for coming on the show. If you have not done so, make sure you head over and check out the CrowdRise campaign. You can find links in the show notes, goingdeepwitharon.com slash podcast. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Uh, but if you are in Allegheny County specifically and you want to learn about how you can become one of those thousand volunteers who makes Pittsburgh a much more food secure city, then I encourage you to I encourage you to check out the website, but also download the app. 412 Food Rescue has their own app. It's in a beta stage right now, but have it on your phone so that when they go live, you'll be ready to be a helpful part of the team and uh, contribute a little bit of your time. Your drive, you probably drive around anyways. Be a part of the team, help out, and uh, make your impact on the world. Thank you so much for listening. I will catch you next time.